0: Hi there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur podcast for Wednesday, September the 16th, 2020. Coming up, we'll talk about the government ramping up a new COVID testing website. We'll also talk about a new study on COVID and its lingering effects, the so-called long haulers, and a surge in cases putting pressure on testing sites. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur podcast.
1: Um, I think that uh, the terminology isn't one that I would be focused on right now. What I'd be focused on is the fact that we have increased numbers. And we all recognize that. We all need to understand that we have that, and we need to work in, in, a, in an informed way to approach that uh, either from uh, focusing on outbreaks and uh, putting those outbreaks, uh, narrowing them down, getting our arms around them and and making sure that they don't spread from figuring out are there particular groups within the population that may be at a greater likelihood to transmit or particular venues or particular settings? All of those things are what I think we should be focused on, not what I think, what I know we should be focusing on right now. And that's the work that Dr. David Williams, Dr. Yaffe, all the medical officers of health are focusing closely on, really trying to understand what's going on so that we can, learn from what's happening now, measure what's going on, and apply that in ways that would help to uh, reduce the chance of continued increase in numbers and and bring those numbers back down to our best way possible.
0: All right, let's cut in here now and thank uh, the Premier and the uh, government officials for the uh, daily uh, COVID update. You're listening to Global News Radio 640 at uh, Toronto. couple of things uh, coming out of that that are uh, worth discussion and uh, digesting – Not the least of which the big announcement is that the Ontario government has announced a new voluntary online diagnostic tool. Now, I'm trying to follow exactly what this is all about and what's happening, but uh, the claim is it's going to keep teachers, students, and families safe. That I guess if you feel, or your child, or if you're a teacher at a school, and you feel as if you maybe or might have COVID, or you're exhibiting symptoms instead of getting in one of these long testing lines, instead of uh, going to the doctor, you're supposed to go online to to diagnose yourself? And and by the way, if you want to do that, uh, have a listen. Here's Education Minister Stephen Lecce with the announcement and the uh, website address.
1: It's also why today we are launching our voluntary interactive COVID-19 screening tool. It's just another step we're taking to improve the safety of our schools. Parents, students, and staff will be able to go to www.COVID-19.ontario.ca forward slash school dash reopening. What? (laughs) www.COVID-19.ontario.ca forward slash school dash reopening.
2: Did you get that? I can't write that fast. I can't <laughs> type that fast. I type fast. I can't type that fast. Did, huh? Did anybody? Slash, slash
0: what? Yeah, did anybody get that? I mean, come on. What's come wrong on. with. I don't know. Uh, do I have COVID.com? Is that oh, taken? COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I might have COVID.ca. Is Who's that website address? Yeah. Is that oh web address God. available? I don't know. Someone probably snatched it up right away in March, right? So they were forced to use.
1: At www.covid19.ontario.ca forward slash school dash reopening. <laughs> that what slash dot who? Co-
0: For- huh? Forward or forward? Yeah. And is it dash forward? reopening or is it dash re- r e dash opening? I- I'm,
2: da- I'm dashing to the lineups. I'm dashing to the COVID uh, check lineups. That's where I'm dashing to. I mean, how are you going to be able to test yourself and then diagnose yourself?
0: I mean, this is the kind of stuff that only governments come up with, right? I mean, honestly, if you were trying to market your own COVID test and you're thinking, okay, this could be real gangbusters, you don't come up with that, you know, basically eye chart or the alphabet all scrambled (laughs) up as your web address. I mean, nobody is going to be able to find this. And when and if you do find it, like, what is it, just some sort of questionnaire that you go through, kind of like one of those online quizzes? And then they either tell you, yes, stay home, or no, you're okay, or go see a medical professional, go get in those long COVID lineups. And here's the other thing, and maybe I've listened to too many of these press conferences uh, now, but ramping up. (laughs) Can we get rid of the ramping up? We're always ramping things up. We're ramping up the testing. Have we plateaued yet? Yeah, have we ramped? Are we de-escalating? Yeah, are we finally ramped when it comes to the testing? Because when we hear that we're prepared and we're ramping up, yet, uh, I don't know, those images out of Ottawa in particular, again, a one-kilometer line with an eight-hour wait? Doesn't seem like they're ramping.
2: That's it. They need a ramp just to get the cars around that are lined up. That's what they need to ramp. Never <laughs> yeah. ramping up. Ramp up to a second level because you've got so many people, they're filling a parking lot. That's what you need to ramp up to.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm stuck on the on-ramp of the highway trying to get to the tests that are apparently ramped up at the community center or wherever right. this is going on. So, Okay, listen, we're going to talk to a medical expert here. We're going to uh, ask her about uh, this, this uh, COVID-19 uh, screening tool. Just announced this online screening screening tool, whether or not it's a good idea, whether it will be effective. We're going to talk about that and a pile of other uh, COVID-related news as we're back up again, in case you are just uh, joining us uh, now. We're back up over 300 case case uh, loads in the province of today, so more on this ahead. The big announcement is this uh, new web address, this new website that the government has come out with that they claim will keep teachers, students, and families as safe. It's a online COVID diagnostic tool, and if you're looking for it, it's really easy. It's easy to find. You can find it at, at
1: www.covid19.ontario.ca forward slash school dash reopening.
0: Of course you can. Yes. No problems uh, whatsoever. Uh, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is a family physician, vaccine researcher, founder of Prime Health Clinical Research, and joins us now to uh, discuss... All of the headlines, COVID-related. She joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Dr. Gore Finkel, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. All right,
0: first off, I know you've not seen the website like many of us as of yet, but just wondering if you could give us a perspective, uh, medically speaking. uh, Is this possible to actually go onto a website and for people to self-diagnose themselves as whether they're COVID positive or not? Or is that something that's better left, do you think, to researchers, testers, uh, doctors in, in the swab test?
2: I look at it all as a part and parcel of the same engagement. So to the extent that we can engage the public, it's important. It keeps them thinking about it. What are the common symptoms? What are the things I need to worry about? Should I get tested? The waits are now some three, three and a half hours in some of the testing centers. So I think that kind of engagement is actually very, very important. Will it spell out perfectly accurate testing? Probably not, but it is a form of engagement that may lead to testing when it's needed.
0: All right, well, speaking of that uh, testing, and you've referenced the uh, lineups, uh, we've heard actually from an NDP member at Queen's Park earlier today, never mind three, that would be a picnic, uh, an eight-hour wait in Ottawa. Yeah, Yeah, one-kilometer-long lineup there and an eight-hour wait. How do we, a doctor, do you think, relieve that sort of congestion?
2: You know it's a serious problem. I don't have any simple solutions because family doctors like me are still not offering testing in the office, and in fact, what we're doing is we're sending any patient with any cold symptom, think about that to the testing center. so they're they're all rooted away from here, and now that kids are going back to school, and now that it's getting colder. That's a lot of colds. The vast majority are not going to be positive for COVID nineteen. They're going to have the common cold because it's so darn common.
0: Sure. So, should anybody? And this question was asked of the premier during the oppressor last hour. Should anyone that wants a test be able to get one, or do we need to start limiting that to those that uh, you know are showing symptoms or possibly or likely have got to COVID, rather than those that just want to kind of check?
2: Well, the problem is this. We know that 40% have no symptoms and that, in fact, this is Canada stuff. Some in 95% have what's called either mild to moderate symptoms or no symptoms. So that's the thing. A lot of individuals who have that, the vast majority are going to manage the symptoms at home. So how are we going to get these people to testing? There is no question that testing leads to better outcomes. And when I say better outcomes, I mean fewer diagnoses, like because we know who has it. We can isolate those individuals. It also leads to fewer hospitalizations and fewer deaths. So that's the thing. How are we going to get around it? Answer, Open more testing centers, make it easy for people to get, do you know, take down the barriers? That's the answer.
0: Okay, would that include retail outlets? Because it sounds as if, and we get another major signal from the premier this afternoon, that uh, they will very soon be able to uh, give tests, neighborhood pharmacies uh, that's been talked about uh, quite a bit. Uh, Is that a good uh, idea? Is that good public health policy? Do you think those tests will be reliable?
2: Well, this is the problem if we put it in an enclosed public space in which large numbers of people congregate, and that becomes our testing center, that's probably not a good idea, because guess what? They're going to potentially infect other people while they're there. So ideally, testing centers would be distinct centers, centers that that's all they do. Tests are us kind of thing. You know, because that way they get far more efficient at doing them. They're set up just for that. And it's kind of like the drive-through concept. Versus if you go to a pharmacy for it, well, heck, do you want to be at that pharmacy when they're doing all these tests? Because guess what people are doing when that swab goes all the way into their nose, all the way to, back to the nasopharynx. That's far as, as deep in as you can go. People cough and sputter. That's, that's the thing. You know, so I don't know that it's a good idea to be testing these people in public and closed spaces that are not set up for that.
0: So could that actually lead to greater infection rates? Do you think that this uh that COVID would get even more spread because of that?
2: Well that would be a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. And that's why generally speaking, you know, when we talk about, you know, how the world's testing centers have worked, they've been standalone. They haven't been They haven't been in in wide-open public spaces. Even I, as a family doctor, could be a typhoid Mary in this this business, right? That's why, like in our own office, we we have the script. We ask everybody, have you been out of the country? Very few people have at this point, but we still ask that question. And we ask, do you have any cold or flu symptoms at all? We even ask about diarrhea because that's 20% of individuals who are symptomatic. So we are asking these questions just so that we can then direct them to the test center that hopefully doesn't have an eight-hour wait. (laughs) So we need more testing centers, for sure.
0: More testing centers. And what about rapid testing? What do you know about that? I know it's been approved in the U.S. for months now. Do you think it should be approved here?
2: Mixed feelings about it. So when you talk about rapid testing, there are a number of tests that are available in the area. This, the, there is no question that the accuracy, and that's a big problem with the rapid testing, has not been as good as the accuracy of the nasopharyngeal swab. And currently, that, that swab that goes all the way up your nose that I was talking about, uncomfortable as it is, is still the gold standard. So the concern is if If a rapid test is widely available to people, will they be getting a false sense of security because it's a false negative test? In other words, they see that it's negative, but actually they do have it. But it's a negative test, so they go out and they could potentially spread it more. Arguably, is that better than nothing? I don't know the answer to that question. I think that would depend on just how accurate the testing really was and what the experience has been in other places.
0: Joined on the line by Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Doctor, I also wanted to talk to you this afternoon about the caseload because we're up over 300 in the province again today. seems when we get over that 300 mark, that's kind of the new threshold. It gets people a little concerned and a little worried and whether or not we're in a second wave. How concerned are you about that number, particularly since that number does not include back to school? We probably won't see that for another week and a half, two weeks.
2: You're nailing it, Jeff. That's exactly true. I'm very concerned about the upsurge in cases. We haven't even begun. And then there's this large upsurge. So, And I also think that there's another message that needs to be getting out, and that's that young adults are actually a big part of the number of cases. If you take a look at Health Canada data, I I call it the 40-40 rule, 40%. Of individuals who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 so far have been under 40. So that's a lot of people. And if you take a look at that, their, their risk of hospitalization, those under 40, stand a 2% risk of hospitalization. And you think, well, fine. You know, they're young and healthy. They'll get over it because you're right. They don't die. In fact, those under 40 represent less than 1% of the deaths. And yet, if you follow them for after the hospitalization, seventy-five percent have symptoms at least. Two, they go on for at least two months. So these people are sick for a long time.
0: And these people are sorry to interrupt, but the so-called long haulers, right?
2: That's not even including the long haulers. The long haulers didn't make it into hospital. A lot of them couldn't get testing. And a lot. So that's not even including that group. If, we, if By the time you include long haulers, depending on whose information you're listening to, that could be 10 percent, that could be 5 percent. We don't even know what percentage the so-called long haulers, those patients who have symptoms for an ongoing time. But we're not in hospital. We yeah. don't know the percentage they represent.
0: And what are those symptoms of the so-called uh, long haulers? Are they plagued uh, with a cough, respiratory problems, that sort of thing?
2: Keep going. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the number one symptom seems to be fatigue. And and the problem, you know, with that for me as a family doctor is that fatigue holds hands with every diagnosis in the book. But they get other problems as well that are more infection-like, muscle aches, ongoing fever, shortness of breath, concentration, lack of ability, you know, uh, to, to, to remember things, dizziness, anxiety. They can get cough, chest pain. There's a whole litany of complaints they have. And yet when we check them, often the tests are negative. They're not showing us the problem, yet there, there is a problem there.
0: So what is that telling us about the coronavirus?
2: It is a multi-system disease. You know, it's we have come such a long way in our understanding. If we follow the path of the virus, imagine somebody who's not thinking and not wearing a mask suddenly coughs and spews, and then all of a sudden these virus-laden spit particles go floating in the air, and somebody inhales those spit particles, not to gross you out, I think it's well after lunch so we can get away with this.
0: I was going to say, this is the kind of talk we need, actually, for people to start taking this a little more seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, I
2: mean, this is the this is the path of the virus. The virus goes in somebody's nose, where it can then damage the the nerves of smell. The the virus can then be literally sucked up and swallowed, where it can then cause intestinal problems. That's the twenty percent that get diarrhea. So it's not this is not influenza. It can go into the bloodstream, where it can increase the risk of stroke. So look at all the systems involved here. It can cause that so-called cytokine storm. It can go into the lungs. You know, if I breathe it in, it can go into the lungs and that can cause that ARDS, high levels of mortality with that. From the bloodstream, it could go into the brain. No joke, it can go into the kidneys. And in fact, the virus has been isolated in virtually every bodily fluid so far that it's been checked for, which is really to say something. This virus is a multi system disease. One of the things that scares me about it is that, you know, we just take it for granted that if somebody's asymptomatic, they don't have damage. We don't even know that. Think about it. It, Could it be cancer causing? There are viruses that have been cancer causing in the past hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HPV. So that's a possibility with this virus. Could it be causing damage? The data is actually very low on this. But if you take a look, there's been a couple of studies that have shown cardiac damage, heart damage, and individuals who had no symptoms. There was another study done in South Korea looking at 10 asymptomatic individuals. Emphasis, small study. But still, they found lung damage on their CAT scans in all 10 that were studied, 10 out of 10.
0: Do we have to, do you think, uh, you mentioned that 40-40 uh, rule, that 40% of the cases are people under the age of 40. Is, it, is this the kind of talk that they need to hear, that we all need to hear? I mean, I was half-joking with you a second ago, but uh, basically scaring people straight, uh, do you think? I mean, we keep hearing from the premier about the particular the 20-somethings. It's, uh, guys, knock it off. Stop uh, partying. Do we have to get a little more serious in our messaging?
2: Well. I don't like the concept of scaring people. That's not what this is about. What this is about is understanding the reality of what the statistics and Health Canada is telling us, what we're learning. We didn't come into this realizing this, because had we realized it from the beginning, the messaging would have been quite different. But the messaging now, without any question is that, you know, wearing a mask, social distancing, and hand hygiene, guess what? It's not just about protecting those who are older with chronic conditions. It is very much about protecting young adults from being hospitalized and from suffering long-term health risks that COVID-19 poses.
0: All right. Doctor, really appreciate the uh, straight talk and appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thank you so much uh, for joining us.
2: Many thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. We'll talk again down the road. There's Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, family physician, vaccine researcher, and founder of the Prime Health Clinical Research Center. And that does it for the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for this Wednesday, September 16th. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading. You can listen live weekday afternoons from 1 to 3 on 640toronto.com. As well, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, on Spotify or find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.